0: welcome back to burgers beers bu- 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 bu. my name is ben hobson this is the podcast where i talk to your favorite authors about their favorite books i'm really excited about today's episode i'm actually yet to have it i'm actually recording this intro right before i get on the line with Catherine collette um i been a huge admirer of Catherine's for a very long time and i just we've always sort of passed each other in the night and never actually talked so i'm really excited about today's chat um about Maeve Binchy's novel Light a Penny Candle which is one of Catherine's favourites I'm interested to find out why is it her favourite what is it about this book um, I really enjoyed it I thought it was a really interesting read not something I would normally pick up but um, I feel like this podcast if nothing else has really broadened my palette I guess you could say you know, I've read a lot of novels I would never have even heard of um, thanks to some authors uh, who have recommended them which I think is really cool. I like that reading and writing um, is just a really broad sort of thing. And uh, it's it's lovely to be able to see just all the different things that influence authors. Um, You know, hit me up on socials. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast and just everything. Um, I'm at Ben Lee Hobson on Twitter. I think I'm at ben.al.hobson. I don't know. Just type Ben Hobson socials and you'll find me, I'm sure. I'm the guy with the beard. And uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing from you. But other than that, let's get on to our chat with Catherine. Zoom has changed. I think I've got it. I think I've got it. It's got multiple record options now.
1: I do it set up, pre-set up to record now. Do you? Which is one function I really like of Zoom, yeah.
0: Do you guys record over Zoom? Is this how you do your yeah, pod that's as well? Yeah, we
1: do all of it now, yeah. Really? Which is sad in some ways because well, it's fine for Kate and I because we know each other really well. But yeah. um, I'm doing an interview this week uh, and, the, and we've had a couple of people that have said, oh, do you want to do it in person? But I we just don't have the, like our setup for Zoom is really good and yeah. we got trained up in using Kathleen Syme Library podcasting studio. But oh, okay. you need two people to do that. So I just need another space probably rather than invite people to my home. But, yeah, I feel like we're not set up for in-person now, which feels like a loss because it's nice to meet people in person. It is. It
0: is. It's It's something I miss. You know, it is nice to meet up in person wherever you can. I remember coming on the first time. I remember, oh, my gosh. missed
1: that session. I remember that. It was a Friday afternoon. Yeah, and I had
0: had my van that I'd travelled down Australia with And then I was trying to park in Melbourne and I kept on doing these like circles out to try to find a spot. And then I had this weird daggy and I was like running through the rain to try to get there in time. (laughs) so funny. But I loved it. I loved and it was really cool to actually, you know, I got to, yeah, it was nice to be in person. And I think we're we're starting to do a few more things like this in person. Yeah. I'd obviously, if you were up here or I was down there, we'd meet up at a
1: yeah that'd be burger awesome. place
0: or something like that. So, but what um, do you
1: do do you record in a in a cafe or something if you meet?
0: Yeah, you yeah. I've done I've only calm? done a couple like that. I have a little. Um, I don't have it with me. It's like a H one recorder, and it has these mics that sort of place like this, and then yep. I just have it sitting between us, like on the side. But it does have a lot of. Um, obvious like um chatter bleed and then I mean yeah. when I recorded the other day there were people walking past who were like looking at us strangely but I don't know it's kind of fun and
1: that's you hear
0: the orders come yeah I like it I think it I hope it adds atmosphere because yeah. the thing I like about listening to podcasts mm-hmm. is always like I'm sitting down having a nice chat with people I yeah. might not be able to otherwise so that's the vibe I think Um but yeah mm-hmm. Catherine Hi. Collette how are you how how are things where are you at How is everything going? It's
1: good. It's very exciting to be here. Um, I am very well. It's a Monday night. I've managed to avoid having to do dinner with my children. (laughs) So Uh, I'm probably going to sit in this room and never come out.
0: I see. Well, not come
1: out until at least 8 o'clock. When You're
0: hiding. Um, Safely assume they'll be in bed. (laughs) Yeah, well, can I ask, because my my family is out here and I can hear them watching. They started watching Sully, you know, that movie with Tom Hanks about... The guy crashes the plane. I can hear him right now. I don't know whether the people on the audio can. This was my first question. You are this massive go-getter in the world of Australian literature. Like you do everything, but you're still working a, f- a full-time job. I'm, I'm not sure where I'm updated, where you're at. Are you? Oh, you're not anymore. I'm
1: No, I'm three days a week. So, oh. I have two writing days that are so precious I to bet. me. I bet. Um, yeah, I feel really lucky to have those. But historically I did work full time. Um, I don't know for how long I'll be able to keep my precious writing days for, but um at the moment I've got two writing days and yeah,
0: you gotta guard those, a lot hey, to me. You have to like-
1: I'm I'm very strict on them. I don't meet people for lunches, I don't do any social sort of stuff. And it's surprising how easy that is to say if I just say to someone who wants to meet, no, I have a rule that I don't meet people.
0: You're at work. That's your job. You're doing yeah. your job. Yeah, for sure. Do you do, can I ask, do you like balance? Cause I, speaking from where I'm at at the moment, I'm finding more and more writer business, author business stuff versus writer creativity stuff. Do you do both things evenly on those two days or do you have like, I write in the morning, in the afternoon, I do podcast notes or yeah. How do you work though, balance those things?
1: My best hours for creative stuff, or my best hours in general are in the morning. So mm-hmm. I prioritize that for creative stuff. And then I do admin sort of things. I probably am only good for about three hours of the day to do creative stuff and then I do admin and you know, podcast interviews are easy to kind of uh, get the questions together and all the rest of it in an afternoon.
0: Yeah sounds delightful. I'm 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 still working my full-time job, so I'm still, yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> Catherine, I'm tired. <laughs> it's,
1: yeah, it's such a juggle. It and
0: is. Think- it's, it's, and it's hard too because I was talking to my wife, Lena, about it, but it's like all the things I have to do in my life are awesome and I love them. It's just like I don't have the number of hours I want every day. Like I need two days in a day to fit in everything I'd like to do.
1: I think when I was working full time and when I was, and I still am fairly disciplined. I'll still get up at five and and mm. run for two hours seven days of the week. Ooh, so um, that's
0: impressive.
1: Well, I guess it's just I'm an early writer. Yeah, it's my favorite thing to do. It's just a lovely way to wake up. I've just started doing the artist's way, so now I wake up and do three morning pages so it all sounds very virtuous but it's no more virtuous than being someone who gets up and I don't know does does whatever they do it's just they're my favorite hours of the day it's akin to staying up late and listening to music
0: yeah right yeah so yeah you genuinely enjoy it. that's really cool and it's cool that you've you've carved out that space too because I can feel like with everything that sort of clamors for our attention in our everyday lives it can be really hard to to be precious about that space as you carve it out for creativity you know what i mean and like i i even struggle to prioritize writing over doing all the other things i have to do like i have a to-do list writing's like this luxury that always keeps falling down on the bottom do you find something similar like do you find it like that are you are you better with that stuff than me? i'm
1: pretty Good. I probably, um, I think my kids are now seven and nine. Mm. So I, you know, you have phases where it's much easier to say, you know, guys, I'm not coming out. I'm not doing breakfast until. Go, go play 30. Minecraft like, for a few hours. Go and, yeah. Go and do that yourself. Whereas say maybe when they were two and mm. four once, you know, I could creep out, but if, if they were up, then the time
0: sort it's of gone. Went.
1: It's <laughs> like So I say these general rules, but I think, um, and what I was going to say before about working full time, mm. I really haven't worked full time and since kids have come along. So a lot of those routines were established pre-kids and I've just kind of continued them.
0: That's so cool though. That takes discipline though. That takes a lot of, because it is easier to sleep in, I think. But like you say, you still enjoy it. That's really cool. You enjoy the thing that's beneficial to you. That's rare, I think.
1: Well, I think discipline is is one way of looking at it. The other is just that it's like a neurosis or an obsession. Do you know what I mean? Like
0: No, no. It's discipline, (laughs) Catherine. I
1: think it's a very generous. I think the thing about being someone who is an early riser is people will gift you this element of virtue to that (laughs) that people who stay up late don't get. And I sort of I feel like it's really undeserved. (laughs)
0: yeah that's true i've been getting up early to go exercise at the moment but um then when i get back it's prep the kids lunches and then you know and then i get home at the end of the day after work and i'm like writing time and just
1: but your work is like you're teaching so you're on
0: yeah 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 it is it's it's uniquely draining i think being a teacher but um I just, yeah, it's it's like every day you sort of have to think about what's the best balance to do these things. And, like, maybe I should exercise at a different time or maybe I'll do a couple of, you know, it's just, it's the constant thing of being an adult. Hey, you sort of have to figure out all these things you desire that you want to do yes. and that you enjoy. Yes. Um, you sort of have to balance everything. And that's being an adult, really? Have I figured it out, yeah. Catherine? Maybe I have.
1: I think you have. You've solved the <laughs>
0: sorry, complex equation sold the meaning of being an adult. Um so we're here to talk about um one of your favorite books I'm really interested about where this book <laughs> falls in your repertoire on your bookshelf in your mind. So we're talking about Lighter Penny Candle by Maeve Binchy. Um I'd never read Maeve before. I don't even think Had I'd... you
1: heard of Maeve? No. Okay.
0: The name rang a bell when you mentioned yeah. when you sent me um which book you wanted me to read. Um, but no, I hadn't hadn't really heard of her and I took a lot of of digging and you know I've I've come to really admire her. Um she seems like such a forthright person. Like all the interviews I've watched with her and stuff like that, she's just so clear-minded about who she is and what she stands for, which I really like. But um yeah, just when did you first come to this book? Why is it so important to you? What is what is the story behind this book for you?
1: Well I actually have no recollection. I was trying to remember when I first heard of this book, and I don't know. (laughs) I was very aware of Maeve Binchy, though, growing up. Maybe very is a bit of a stretch. But I feel like hers were the kinds of books in the same way that there was a period of time where if you went to a hostel or something, you'd see the Da Vinci Code on yeah, the shelf. I remember I that, like, hey. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Maeve Vinci's books were the kinds of books that you would see in a hostel at your grandmother's house. Um,
0: Just everywhere. Any of
1: those. Yeah, any of those kinds of places. And I had the sense of them that I think our first book was published 1980, so You know, I think I'm I'm born 81. So they weren't books that I... um,
0: And this was the first one too. You know, that I was
1: the reader. This was the first one. Yeah. So um, I had the idea that they were books for women. Mm. I thought perhaps they were romance novels, um, but also the sense that they were vaguely embarrassing, that she wasn't (laughs) like... She wasn't... Absolutely, that she wasn't really a serious author What? Uh, but i do do remember well, this is just the view that i had and i remember Mum okay. saying that she had really liked this book light a penny candle and so that was one that sort of circled in the ether i think circle of friends came out which was based a movie based on a Maeve binchy novel had mini okay. driver in it okay um and so i'm pretty sure i read circle of friends So I had this kind of conception of Maeve Binchy, but then I listened to a podcast last year and it was about um, another Maeve Binchy book, Evening Class. And I loved the discussion, went and read the book, and then just last year in the kind of depths of COVID. Yeah. And um, all the challenges and difficulties that that entailed. And I experienced, like I found COVID quite hard. Mm. Uh, And so I read some of these Maeve Binchy books and I probably ended up reading six or seven of them. Wow. And they were so cosy and lovely. Yeah. And, yeah, they were just such a beautiful escape.
0: Oh, um, man. They, yeah. I loved them. They just, they're so, yeah, that that idea of warmth. They are warm books and, and the characters are so winning. Even the characters you don't necessarily like or, you're, you, you know, who are positioned to not like as much. You still, I don't know, you still they're war- You feel warm and, like, fuzzy towards them, like they're family almost. It's a strange thing she's done.
1: Well, she's, I think she achieves it so well. So now, like, I look at her both as a writer and as a reader and that cozy, warm mm. feeling as a reader. You sort of try to break that down a little bit as a writer. And she's brilliant at... I mean, there will be main characters, certainly in this book, there are two main characters, Elizabeth and Ashley. but there's a cast of people that sit around them. And yeah. we feel like we know all of them. And the level of art in conveying these characters in really three-dimensional ways, but very quickly and in very simple language, hmm. you know, she doesn't use much to get that across, but we no. feel like we know them so fully.
0: Yeah, no, it's very, it's very crisp writing. Like there's not wasted space. And even because the book is quite, well, I don't, I'm doing this, but I read it on my ebook reader. readers. I,
1: I did too. And oh, I realised how long it was. I was like, oh, my God, I've made Ben read this like thousand page novel.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, no, it's not Robert Lukens. What did Lukens make me write, read? He made me read a Donna Tart*. The oh, The Goldfinch? That- no, the other no, the first one. Oh, see now, I've forgotten the name. That's embarrassing. History,
1: something history.
0: Yeah, uh, secret history. Man, you're good. Yeah, that secret was quite history. a big one too. But did so you grew up? You grew up surrounded by books. Like, was your were your family really into reading?
1: Yeah, we so were it was Mave in the
0: house within your actual house. Did your parents enjoy?
1: Actually, don't know that Maeve was. Yeah. Um, but we were big readers. I remember. I have lots of memories of we would have a family holiday. We often went to Sydney because my mum had family in Sydney, but we would do one more interesting holiday a year at the September mm-hmm. holidays. And so we would go to Uluru or to Tasmania or do something much more exciting um, than I mean, Sydney was fun, but something different. And I can remember all the secondhand bookshops in all of the country towns that we went to. It was, we would have a caravan or wherever we would stay. Yeah. We would definitely visit the secondhand bookshop.
0: Aren't they magic, those places? I still... Oh, just so good. It's like entering a different world and then you just go in there and take your time. It's a, like I don't know whether you find that, but I just, it's a place where you just, the, you lose track of time. It's like you're in a casino or something. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm sure we used it as a library. To be honest, like the, you know, we would sort of all the kids be in there, and I mean, we would obviously buy books. But mm. as you say, you would be—it would be such a leisurely look through and check all the of, prices, the little you know, grey pencil, and just
0: everything's yeah. everywhere, and you can't find stuff really. And it's—and you find these, fo- yeah. man. Um, but, so Maeve's actually recent for you. She's just she's pretty- really entered your life in the last year.
1: Recent, well, I did have a circle of friends I had yeah, read, course, and yeah. I did really like Circle of Friends, but she she's pretty recent um I think she what is it about her she, to me, she feels like an old world Leanne Moriarty
0: in mm, many ways, yeah,
1: um but her books are I think I feel an affinity with them. Because I grew up in a Catholic family. We used to go mm. to church up until sort of I was in late, the latter years of primary school. We sort of stopped doing that or scaled that back. <laughs> so it has this religious, Catholic religious yeah. element it's that big. I can identify with. It's really big.
0: Yeah. And it
1: reminds me, the stories within it remind me of my own experiences, sort of trying to grapple with um, religion and taking very literally a lot of. Religious instruction that we're meant yeah, to be a bit yeah. more spiritual and all those sorts of things, and yeah. it reminds me of my parents who grew up in a much more Catholic environment than I did.
0: Yeah, like that um that scene very early on where Ashling um decides she has to baptise yes. Elizabeth, right? And it's very serious, you know they they secret themselves away from all the parents, and you know they do this thing in secret, and she has to say it exactly right, like not a joke, not a joke to them. I wonder if Maeve, like, that seems like it's very, mm-hmm. this is her debut, so I wonder if that was a big part of her childhood, right? Like,
1: I suspect so. I also studied in Ireland for a year, and so it it I connect with it on that level. Like, it feels very, um, I mean, the setting of this book is just post-war. I was there in the early 2000s, <laughs> but there is something very Irish that I can connect to that experience. Yeah. But yeah. just on that idea of, religion and the way that they baptize um, Elizabeth in the book. I can remember going, a, a priest took my grade two or grade three class to the church, and we went behind the scenes and saw all this sort of stuff, and he was teaching us how holy water was made. And so he said, you know, you do X, Y, Z, but if you get really stuck and you need some holy water, just put some water in a kettle and boil the hell out of it. And it was one of those things. So it's just All like right, he was joke, playing with us. That joke
0: <laughs> took me a second to understand. I'm sorry. That's very funny.
1: Well, it was one of those things that an adult tells a child, but the child takes it completely at face value. So for years afterwards, I, you know, thought that was how you made Holy Water. But Mave's <laughs> some of the moments in the book where the girls are young and grappling with, um mm. you know, religion really reminded me of that moment. Where you're mm. sort of like, and like
0: big, actually... big adult ideas as well, right? Like, I mean, I think she's got a superb way of filtering this adult world down into young minds. And it felt very authentic where I think a lot of authors can sometimes uh, their young protagonists can feel very ma- too mature and yes. too worldly. Um, or even too silly and too childlike, but no, I don't know. I think she struck the perfect balance there.
1: Yeah, I kind of think um, it because the arc of, I mean, this story, I mean, the end is a section worth discovering if you got through and read the whole thing, but it reminds me in some ways of Elena Ferrante's work around the, what, what is, uh, Napoleon.
0: I haven't read Elena uh, ne- Ferrante Neapolitan. yet.
1: Right. Okay. No one's chosen her to
0: read on my podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can read her of your own accord, but um, so she has. She writes about sort of these two women in a relationship from a very young age and going older. I kind of I see similarities between Maeve Binchy and Elena Ferrante in that you just have this. It's not like a story with a traditional arc. Mm. I think it just is like a lovely. Uh, unfolding of life that has sort of highs and lows and things happen and a friendship strengthens and then it falls away a bit and then it strengthens. Mm. And then um, to touch on the end of the book, I think, and then it gets to the point where first time Maeve Binchy is not sure how to end things. (laughs) So suddenly kill someone off in a, oh. in a very dramatic fashion.
0: I do have to admit <laughs> I didn't get all the way to the end. I'm sorry, okay. Catherine. I got up to page, I think, about 500 out of 700 on the ebook. So <laughs> I put in a solid. You've, sol-
1: missed, you've missed the most interesting.
0: I have. Well, you know, I'll have to keep reading then. I did, you know, in prep <laughs> for this, I did read a couple of summaries and stuff, but I didn't touch on that because I did want to read it myself. But, you I mean, feel free to spoil it. Feel free because this, this is a 1980 <laughs> book, like you said. You know, if you have I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. Tell, Unpack the ending for so, us. I'm really interested.
1: So you have uh, these two women, Ashling, who's based in Ireland, and Elizabeth, who's based in uh, the UK. And uh, their lives are intertwined over, I don't know, 20, 30 years, something like that. Anyway, uh, towards the end, Elizabeth has a husband, Henry, and they've had quite a nice relationship. Um, Elizabeth previously has been with Johnny Stone, who's Mm. a bit of a narcissist, uh, good time guy if you're having fun, but not someone who takes life overly seriously, not someone to rely on. Anyway, so she gets together with Henry and this seems really nice and they have a really sweet relationship. But then really suddenly Henry becomes obsessed with I think what Elizabeth's doing for work and where she is at different times, and discovers that she's had an abortion, um, gets gets really angry at her in a really sort of frightening way, and she ends up pushing him down a set of stairs and killing him. And Ashley oh. covers up for her, so it's oh. like this: you've had this lovely, gentle unfolding, and then you have this like really shoehorned, strange end. But I kind of this, love it. Yeah, because- it
0: doesn't. I feel like just when you describe it there. It feels out of out of place in the book it's that really I read. It's really
1: out of place. Yeah, but what I love about it is um, so Maeve Binchy was forty two when this book came out. She sold millions of copies. You know, so pu- published for the first time at forty two. Mm. Um, I like that a book can be wonderful. Eighty five percent of it, the front eighty five percent is wonderful, and the last fifteen percent is terrible. I kind of I like I like the evolution of a writer that sits behind that, that you've got from the yeah. very beginning, you've got this um, talent that is so clearly there, but you haven't quite nailed the execution. Mm. You
0: know,
1: I, I don't know. I really, I like yeah. that as a sign of, of growth.
0: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And she she did end up publishing. I think I've got 16 books I've got here in my research. So she just got better and better with each one, I'm sure. And this one's very like, like it's very interesting to me what you were saying here. There's not a traditional arc in the book, like there isn't necessarily something that pulls you through. You know how when you know, I'm sure editors have spoken to you about it. And just all, every craft book is all about, you got to pull readers through with something like a ticking clock and all those sorts yeah. of things. But she, it's strange because whenever I pick up the book, I'm just like, I got to read it. And as soon as I start, yeah. I'm like, I need to see what happens. I don't know why I'm interested in what happens because a lot of the stakes are very small. And it's all these relational it's things tiny. that I'm not normally interested in just people talking and relating it's, to one another.
1: <laughs> kind of Elizabeth Strout-like in that, you, you know, like it's a series of sort of not massive things, but it's, it, it's really enjoyable to read. The other thing about it is there is barely any description. I th- yeah. think she describes a thing in it from what people look. I mean, she does a little bit of what the little main bits. characters look yeah. like. Um but there's, there's no, yeah, it's really, really light on
0: description. Yeah, which is amazing because I can clearly picture a lot of the different th- settings in the book. Like I can picture the house that Elizabeth stayed in early on. I can picture the home that Elizabeth went back home to in, in, in post-war, um, post-Blitz London. I can really picture those things, but you're right. There isn't, she doesn't labour over the description no. at all. Yeah, it's very quick. Yeah, economical. It's like yeah, I really enjoy economical writing, which you know, which is funny too because it's so it's a big book too. Like it's got a lot in it's, there. Despite that,
1: what, yeah, it's I. It, I was reading it and I had recommended it to you. I, I said to you, "Let's talk about it." Mm. Um, but then I was looking around, just finding information on it, trying to sort of um, see what other people thought. And on Goodreads, a bunch of people were like, "This is the longest book ever." And at that point, I looked at how long the book was and was like, "Oh my god, it's it is really long." I read it last year, as um, so it feels very familiar to me. But I reread it, and I'm surprised how much I'm enjoying the reread.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it does feel like one of the. It feels like one of those books, like you you read it for comfort. It's a comfort yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah, for it's sure. Very
1: comfort
0: book. Um, I love doing this with with people who I have on authors I have on. Um, I love finding some quotes from the author of the book we're reading about her ideas about craft. Um, so let's just see. It's actually here. We've got something that we've already touched on about making time for your creativity. And so um, Maeve had this to say. She said, "Time doesn't appear from nowhere. You have to make it, and that means giving something, giving up something else." regularly, like sleep, for example, or drinking or playing poker or watching television or window shopping or just lounging about with your family, which I thought was really funny from her. Like she's like, she It sounds like it was a real discipline for her to make the time to do this book.
1: Well, apparently she was living in London and lonely. And so she started getting up early, writing for three hours. And um, every week she sent a chapter or she in person dropped a chapter of the book off to her agent. Really? Yeah. I I've,
0: So I found I found this. I forget where I found it. I should cite my source. But it says she worked on the novel. Maybe this is what you mean. She worked on the novel in 5,000-word bursts over a series of 40 weekends in 1981, and she produced a 240,000-word manuscript. It's so long. Yeah, but, but I love- how... how how did she write it on only on the weekends? Like I would feel oh. like I'd fall out of the story. Like I feel once I start I have to make like a daily habit, but she was just on weekends, 5,000 words every weekend.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. It is. She, um, But I think that talks to the structure of it too, that it is just uh, an unfolding, which I don't even, I'm not even saying it's a criticism because it does yeah. have compulsion and it does Yeah, like, for sure draw you in, but not in that traditional. What's I just think it's,
0: it's very sense. subtle in the way it does it. It's mm. not, yeah, mm. it's not, oh, there's a bomb we have to go diffuse. It's just very clever character stuff, I think.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. She also said this because I know, you know, listening to the first time podcast, I know that you love spreadsheets. That's right, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do
1: love spreadsheets. Yeah, That's so
0: I think it sounds to me like Maeve is also interested in being very organized and spreadsheety so she said this mark into your diary each week which hours you will spend on writing and how many pages you expect to get done if you write down that you will do th- pages 34 to 44 then you have no escape and it will stop you sitting there staring at the wall <laughs> <laughs> how good's that
1: <laughs> i like that i like a bit of you know stern instruction
0: like stern talking to yourself right now you said you'd do it you got to do it um i thought this one was really interesting i'm interested in your thoughts on this one this is about the moment that you you finished it but you have to show someone else um it's like being vulnerable sending your work out for someone else to read and so she said this she's brilliant she's absolutely brilliant she said if you don't go to the dance then you don't get the humiliation of people passing you by and not dancing with you, but you also have no fun.
1: I like that.
0: Isn't it perfectly put? Yeah. I don't know. Like, how how have you always found, you know, that vulnerable moment of where you you package together words you've done and you, even the first time, I mean, you know, to use your phrase, the first time you sent words out to someone to see what they thought of it. I mean, what was that like for you? Did it feel like,
1: Oh, I've I was remembered. never asked
0: to dance, Catherine. Okay. Oh. I was, <laughs> I danced with my friend's mum in grade six.
1: Did you bless?
0: Mrs. Mrs. Stevens. She was very kind to me. Took pity on small Ben Hobson with no oh. dance partner. Yeah. But, um, that, yeah, that humiliation is real. And yeah, it is the same sort of one. I feel
1: <laughs>
0: when it's like people pass you by, right? Like it's rejection over and over again. Like, how do you, how did you find it? How do you deal with that sort of thing?
1: Um, I remember really well the first uh, creative writing piece that I had workshopped at RMIT, mm. studying there, and the. I think that first time you ever do workshopping is the most throwy uppy um we had to bring in say 30 copies of our 1000 words that we would hand around Mm -hmm. and so obviously the first time around you pick your best possible words hoping that everyone just tells you it's amazing and and all the rest of it but Mm. um I don't remember that bit happening but (laughs) I do remember just the feeling of going in, of barely being able to listen as the teachers sort of going through the class, knowing, you know, it's nearly my turn, it's nearly my turn, it's nearly my turn, handing it out. And the like the great, probably the cruelest part of that experience is you have to sit while people read. And, like, I don't think time has oh, so, ever gone. Sorry, so, so like, so,
0: quietly, they just quietly sit there with your work. They words.
1: quietly sit. So they say it's, you know, Catherine, it's your turn. You hand out your sheets of paper. Then you all sit in, <laughs> in silence. And you have, like, Watch you have up. a 20-minute slot, but they read for five minutes. then the teacher is like, oh, what do you think? And there's silence. <laughs> And then, you know, sometimes, you know, people will start to talk up and, and you get more used to that. And you also get used to mm. um, the, the, I think you get better in the early stages of that. People give you feedback and you take every grain of feedback, every comment that they write on your sheet is something that you have to alter and change and do what they say, but yeah. you get so much better over time at mm. sort of saying, "Well, actually, you know, I see where you're coming from, but I, I'm making a stylistic choice there, or I'm
0: yeah, you, you, you know, get a you little get bit more. Well, I think it, you know, you develop being certain of yourself and making choices, and either they what they say will change your choice, or what they say will reinforce the choice you've already made. Do you think do you think that vulnerability takes a type of practice that type of bravery? Do you think you get better at it or is it is scary every time? I think
1: I think you do get better at it. I think it's scary every time, like the the that moments before a book comes out, going to yeah. your launch, all that sort of stuff. It's sort of terrifying on one <laughs> yeah. level. Like it's lovely, like it it really is lovely, but there is a great deal of vulnerability in that mm. um, I think one of the things that I think about is that I go to other people's launches and I read the books of the people I know and how like what a joy that is yeah and and you know and then if you're saying to someone I loved the book and I loved it for these reasons and these reasons that I mean that when I say it and
0: yeah yep. um and Even- then- even books I find yeah. that, that my people in the writing community in Australia, like even books that perhaps aren't, you know, the bi- they're not going to sit up on my, my top bookshelf as, you yeah. know, are the, my tomes of perfect writing. I still like so admire so many different parts of it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of easy to be positive about yeah, other people's too. work, I find. Yeah. Well, actually on this note, like while we're being positive about other people, Maeve Benchy, um did not like other writers. Um did she? No, she did. I'm only I'm putting uh, it on. No, but she said this. So, I thought she this was seems
1: in- like such a lovely person. <laughs>
0: she I think she was, but listen to this. This is kind <clears> of <throat> I thought this was a brutal takedown. She said this: Do not send your work to other writers. If somebody sends me a manuscript, my secretary and I have a note we attach and send back that says, I am returning your manuscript to you unread. You and I are in competition with one another. I am the wrong person to write to. Uh,
1: oh my God, Maeve. Brutal.
0: <laughs> Brutal.
1: I, that feels unexpected to me. She, I mean, I haven't seen her interview, but she seems like she would just be a lovely
0: person. Yeah, but...
1: but that makes me question that. She's
0: a bit cutting. I, I just, that felt like a Hemingway thing. Like, if I'm <laughs> not the best writer, um, you know, if you're gonna be trying, you're better than me. Then we better man up, like you know that it's, old Hemingway thing that he does. That's what it feels like. It's like we're in competition with one another.
1: Well, it feels to me like a um, uh, a, another book of a similar sort of time period, and I mean it's different, but that you might also have found on a hostile bookshelf at the same time is Colin McCullers' McCulloch's. Uh, the Thornbirds. Did you ever read that?
0: No, I haven't read that. It oh. does ring a bell, though. Again, that name rings a bell.
1: She, I think, she was a bit of a terrifying and <laughs> and not very pleasant woman. But some, in some ways, I put her and Maeve Binchy in the same basket. But mm. I had considered that Colleen McCulloch color Colleen McCulloch, sat at one end and Maeve at the other. But maybe there. yeah.
0: Well, I mean, we're you know we're talking about the Australian Australian writing community. With, you know, that's what we're familiar with. But I I just don't feel that type of competitiveness. I mean, I think I feel competitive sometimes, but I, I hope I'm mature enough, you know not to say Maeve's not mature, but I hope I'm mature <laughs> enough, <laughs> jeez, she's passed away. it's okay. No, she has, um, yeah, yeah uh, I, I hope that I'm mature enough to say, yes, I kind of want to be the best I can be at this thing, but it's mm-hmm. like a personal thing. It's not yeah. versus other people. Um, you know, I've sent my stuff to other writers and to get feedback on and to get, we all do it for cover quotes and stuff like that. I just feel like everyone in these. I mean, look at you with your first time podcast, right? Like you give all these authors this platform and you're so generous with, with your time and the way you, you boost up everyone in the, in the writing world. So I don't know. I just, I don't think I agree with Maeve. I have to give her some pushback. I don't know what your thoughts I,
1: are. I agree with you on that. I think it's a, maybe. Yeah, it feels like a very simplistic idea to see writers as competition, competition. and that hasn't been my experience. You know what, though, it, writing- might, it
0: might get more competitive. Like the higher up you go, like Maeve was this multi-million selling. So there were like three other people. <laughs> you know? Maybe they. Maybe that's the thing. I don't know. Well, I think I
1: think to frame it in terms of competition is a funny is a funny mm. thing. I think mostly like it's not like there's a limited number of like every person in the world can only read four books. And and therefore, can, if someone no, buys two books, they can't There kind of it is
0: though. Free. Like if it, I think for most readers, like maybe, you know, you'd have to look at the average number of books they read per year, but it, I don't think it's voracious readers, you know, people who probably listen to this podcast would read, you know, 60 books a year, one a week, easy, even more. But I don't know how many the average person reads, like maybe one or two, right? And then, well,
1: like, I, Catherine, I reckon... I'm just
0: saying, I'm throwing it down. We're in competition. <laughs> well, no,
1: I guess I think what I'm saying, though, is, like, if someone buys your book,
0: mm. it doesn't
1: mean they can't buy mine. It's no, not like true. their book tally is used up. They can buy more books. That's um, true.
0: That's true. So
1: I think competition is a, a funny frame. I think jealousy is a more understandable um, emotion than, to me than competition. Um
0: yeah, maybe maybe that was what it was too. Maybe maybe that's what she's really saying there. You know, we read someone else's work and it ends up being brilliant. And you're like, oh, <laughs> oh damn, I wish I, you know, and then that jealousy comes out. Um, Talking very quickly, I mean, we, we touched on the religious ideals and how that really stemmed from um, Maeve's childhood and, you know, growing up in, in Ireland and all those sorts of things. I, I felt like she was pretty good at not dogmatically kind of reaching out and telling me what she thought of it. It was really, really clear that each character's mindset was really clear to them, but it wasn't like she was speaking through the text, I felt. Um, I had a question for you about how to capture like authentic, real world parts of your life. Because I know you've done that Mm -hmm. for the competition. You did a lot of work in the world of the speech makers and stuff like that, or the Lions Club, I think you said. Was that it?
1: Yeah. Toastmasters.
0: Toastmasters, that's it, that's it. Yeah,
1: probably a fairly similar vibe to Lions, I suspect.
0: Yeah, but um, so you, you spent a lot of, of, how do you put that stuff, that stuff that you've experienced in the real world, how do you go about capturing that in your work?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, what's funny, for the competition, it was set around public speaking clubs, and so I'd had this experience at Toastmasters, which is a, a very well-known public speaking club. And uh, the very first time I went to a Toastmasters meeting, I remember being so excited because I thought this is such a good setting. For mm. a like it was so, it's such a curious little world that is so prime for satire. Mm. It's like your Lions Club or your Rotary Club, like just, you know, some, some personalities yeah. combined with kind of local Group politics and yeah, little gossip and...
0: sessions about other people, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so exactly
1: good. awkwardness in general. Um, <laughs> so it had always struck me as great in a satirical sense, but and this is a thing I think Maeve does really well is to balance, you know, she will have characters, Ashlyn, for example, thinking about the church and and what certain aspects of it mean, but she manages to balance that with real heart and real emotion. And I think that's one of the things from a craft perspective is she can do really quick turns from uh, you just in a moment and then suddenly you're like, oh, that's upsetting. Or that's, you know, I, I think that's what she does so well. And I, in my own work, Trying to balance those things, I think, is a mm. and a real art form that I work towards and I really appreciate in other people's writing. That's the sort of stuff I want to sit down and pause and and say, how is
0: she done? How is she
1: so quickly like mm. she will just have tiny moments where, you know, uh Ashling's mother is reading a letter from Elizabeth and um you know, we'll just make this one like it's literally a line that yeah. changes that interrupts the flow and sort of makes you take a step back. Yeah, I um, I think she does that so well.
0: Yeah, and so with the research, as long as it's embedded in a type of like a character versus just research for research's sake, you know, I you know, I've read a few books where it mm. felt like the author fell in love with their own research a little bit, and it was just it went. But yeah, Maeve does not put research in there unless it's absolutely important mm. for what's going on or what's happening with the characters, I think.
1: I think that's a really good point. And also when you have a character that's embodying a point of view, mm. there's space for what for how the reader sees the character as well. Yeah. So you sort of have this multiple creating multiple points of view on the same thing at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she does that so well. I actually want to talk to you about how she does the emotional things because I felt like I almost feel like you can't get a lighter touch than what she does. Oh. Like it's just like I, I I go back to that scene um, where sorry, what was the Liz? No, Ashling's mum's name. or was her name? Did it start Eileen? With an, I yeah 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 Eileen yeah because it started with an E because I kept getting her confused with Elizabeth at the start. Um, But yeah, so she's reading the I think it's she reads a letter that comes that informs her that her son has been killed. And the way that unfolds, where it's just there's no there's no wailing or weeping. It's like it's very stoic almost and then she Mm. she just holds it to herself and it's really sad, like it's so moving. But she's not telling me how to feel, she's just sort of inviting me in
1: to witness this thing, right? I agree, and I know that exact moment. Like it's, there's almost nothing in it. Like mm-hmm. it's quite a short passage, but then later I think it's also reinforced because you you hear, I think through Elizabeth perhaps that, or through a letter or something that um, uh, Eileen's husband Sean the way that he has dealt with grief oh, yeah. and that, oh, yeah, he was out. And it's said very matter-of-factly, you know, he was out drunk on, you know, mm-hmm. and saying X, Y, Z. And, um, yeah, it, it's the art in being able to convey that, and she uses such simple language as yeah. well, Yeah, is is pretty incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and no, it's the choices too for what the character does as well. Because I think, Mm. you know, I think you could look at that scene in like a stereotypical kind of gets this ladder, falls to her knees, rips her the hem of her dress or something, you know. But it's just, it's more heartbreaking how hard it is for them to deal with it. But it's not, Mm. yeah, it's like she's just witnessing it. And it's so incredible. And I just, yeah, that's something I really admire in writing. And I strive to do.
1: (laughs) She also, I think, from memory in that passage she talks about the things that eileen doesn't do is yeah. sort of yeah. she's like she doesn't go and tell this person she didn't do this and she didn't do like it it, yeah. it, it sort of gave you this feeling of containment talking to the things that she was unable to do oh, kind of reinforces God. that stoicness
0: oh she, she's so good hey i just yeah um I had one more question about the book and then one to finish for you, Catherine. I really appreciate you and being here. Um, we've talked for a while, <laughs> It always it just, stuff passes by so quickly. Um, so apparently I found out that this original book, so this was her first book, that the editor really said to her, you need to put some raunchier stuff in here. This is not going to sell. You need some really need some sex in here. Yeah. Um, and and she said oh, i just and her her answer was really funny she said it's not that i have some moral objection to doing this i just don't have any experience really yeah she was like i'm oh, very she was like i'm my... very bo- i'm very boring so she pushed back cuz she was like it wouldn't be authentic i didn't experience it so i don't know how to write it um but her thing was always and this is what i wanted to talk to you about um so, sorry obviously what happened was this book was a massive seller and so she never then had to put in, that that request never got reiterated again, because she's like, ah, I was right, you were wrong. Yeah. But I really thought it was interesting how she alludes to things, and this is what I think mm. we've been talking about, right? So this was, you know, I always think about in the original, in Jaws, you know, the mechanical shark was so bad that they ended up just always cutting away from the shark but it made things scarier. Mm. Is that something you think too about like what you what you really respond to in, in writing and reading? Do you like the writer not saying something, just sort of alluding to it and letting us imagine what's going on?
1: Well, I think in this she does that well because people are having sex, but it's not, which mm. is where that perception that I had of it as a romance novel is sort of inaccurate. Like it, it's probably one of... An early chick lit example, but it doesn't actually kind of sit within that romantic yeah. realm, I don't think. People,
0: have, there's lots of relationships, but they're not, the friendship is much more of the thrust of the book.
1: Yeah, is far more central. Um, so I remember Mark Brandy going to a launch of his, and he writes some fairly dark. Books, Mm. Um, and he was sort of talking about, you know, that bad things happen in his books, but he, it's not on the page, yeah, you know. And I think particularly in darker writing, the power of someone's imagination can be so powerful in creating the, you know, it's hinting at things that that you don't even want to know, like Mm. that can be really. Powerful. I think in romance you could almost say the opposite. Like I would have loved a Maeve (laughs) Binchy sex scene, but the layer on that is there is nothing worse than an uncomfortable sex scene. Yeah, which I think she sounded like she clearly was uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, it would have come across. So it would
1: have been. It was the right decision. It was. um, Yeah, I don't think people object. Done well to more sex in books. (laughs) Whereas the darkness of other stuff, I'm like, I don't need to know. I can imagine.
0: Yeah, but like you said, it's worse. It's worse or it's better maybe with what we can do in our minds. Well, this is what we're talking about with the emotional stuff, right? She doesn't labor over she was sad and Mm. she cried and she did this thing. But we get to go, how would I feel in that? What does that look like in Mm. my world? It makes, I think, for a deeper connection. I think. Could be wrong.
1: Mm.
0: I've been wrong before, Mm. Catherine. <laughs> well,
1: there. I think there's a a moment earlier on where one of Ashling's friends, what's her that? name, Janie, Janie, I think, um, gets caught with a boy on her mother's bed, mm. uh, mm-hmm. by her brother, and yeah. ends up being sent to France to finishing school or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. like
1: that. Um, yeah, she has sort of
0: a. It's all. It's all. It's and it's seen showing. through
1: Ashling's Ashling's eyes, and Ashling doesn't really know what's going on. So it's sort of this lovely layering of Ashling's kind of confusion, and mm. then the reader sort of bringing more knowledge and sort of being able to read between the lines.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a remarkable book. I really appreciate. Um, well, you know, I have to finish the last <laughs> like 150, I think. But no, it's been like I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's um, and again, you know, with what I do with this podcast, like I just I would never have picked it up. But I'm really glad I read it. Oh, oh I'm re- I'm And sorry. you have
1: that delightful position of knowing that there are another 15 books after this book that you can <laughs> go down the rabbit hole of. You know what?
0: Okay. If I ever want to feel a great deal of comfort and joy with my reading, I think, you know, Maeve might be one of the ones I pick out, I think.
1: Do you not pursue comfort and joy in reading? Are they not your...
0: No, not at all. Really? No, not even a, No, not even a little bit. No, I like... I like, I like thinking deeply about. I mean, this is strange too because this book makes you think deeply. So maybe I'm just weird. I don't know. I I like books that have a lot of moral um, questions in it, like what would be the right course here and what would I do in that situation. And I like, um, yeah, I think I like those sorts of things. But so um, interesting. But this book does that too. This book does that too, but it's just nicer about it. Maybe I <laughs> maybe I <didn't. laughs> Change my, my worldview on what I read. Um, but this last question for you, Catherine. What is next for you? Where can we find you? You know, obviously the first time podcast. You've got book three being written, having no, did I heed anyway, you tell me. It's,
1: it's it's yeah, so I have book three, which is a middle grade novel, a departure from writing for adults. Mm. It's with my agent just into at the moment. So I'm in Ooh. that vulnerable space of Waiting, yeah, uh, something you get better at but never get used to. I don't think, no, um, so that's something that's on the horizon, but most of my most visible stuff is through the first time podcast.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: And you can get that, listen to that via wherever you get your podcasts, but uh, follow us on Instagram at the first time pod.
0: Yeah. It's an awesome Instagram feed. You guys have a lot of cool stuff on there. Um, Yeah. So thank you, Catherine. I appreciate you coming on, on this podcast and and making me read an epic. (laughs) Uh,
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. When I see you in person. I'll bring you circle friends.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yes, please. Yes, more, Mave. I actually think I actually think my wife would really like this book. This is up mm. her alley, I think. Yeah, I'm gonna get her to read it. I'll, I'll let you know what she thought of it too. This is yeah, her cup of See tea. how she
1: likes the end.
0: In- yeah, yeah. I won't spoil anything for her. <laughs> she won't. She doesn't listen to this podcast anyway, so it's fine. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you, Catherine, and I'll see you soonish. Whenever I see you next.
1: Ganz gut.